0: But this morning, we're going to stick with what we've been doing uh, for months, actually, which is going through stories from the scripture of things that happened in people's life. It's God's wisdom that actually most of the Bible is story. Uh, most of it is a narrative of what God did in people's lives. And it's no accident. Uh, it's what God put there for our good, these stories from which we can learn. So the story that we're going to look at in a minute is from the beginning of 1 Samuel. But before we get there, as we start a whole new term really this morning and start a new uh, academic year as well, I thought it would be helpful just to pause and remember some of what God has been doing, the sort of main headline themes, if you like, of what God's been doing amongst us. And actually, the, the, the main thing... Going back five or six years has been about God adding into our uh, the way that we walk the Christian life uh, a, a w- an embrace of people beyond the church, beyond what we've known so far, which we can call mission. Uh, we've learnt more and more and more about the fact that our God is a missional God, which is to say that he sent his son into the world and he sends his spirit into the world to rescue people, to get hold of people and draw them into relationship with him. And we've had a wonderful heritage for many years in OCC of uh, being spiritual and knowing each other in an authentic community. But there's been something of mission that's needed to be added in and that's changed quite a lot. Uh, it's changed patterns of life, it's changed ways of relating and uh, it's changed what we do with our small, smaller groups as well as a church which are now called missional communities and if you don't know anything about all of that then talk to the people on the welcome desk or the welcome cafe indeed as it is this morning and they'll tell you more about it. But last week we had Roy and Daphne Godwin with us uh, from Founder Brennan in Pembrokeshire and as has already been mentioned this morning, Roy shared a word to us. He asked me before the meeting if it was okay to share it because it might be a bit in your face. And he wasn't quite sure how it would come out. And he worried that he would, well, I don't know if he was worried, he was just aware that he might offend everyone and I might be upset too because he was having a go at you lovely people. I said, no, 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 we need to hear what God's saying. So he shared it. And what he shared was very simply, wake up. You've been sleepwalking. I need to click, don't I? There we go. Wake up. Good. Uh, You need to wake up. And one of the things that we've found helpful as we've developed missional communities has been making use of a very simple, just a triangle to remind us of the fact that the Christian life has different dimensions. Uh, There is our relationship with God, which means so much. It's about... (sighs) Knowing him intimately, he is the source of our life. He's that fountain that's been spoken of this morning. He's our source of power. Without him, there isn't anything else. So the up bit matters. The in bit, the relationships that we have as brothers and sisters together in the church, they matter too. Because God wants us to look like him. And he is Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternal relationship with mutual love and mutual care. And it's right that we as his people should look like him. And so we're told to love one another. There's an outward bit. And this is what we've learned more about in the last five or so years, I guess, which is we're also called to love our neighbor. And that means everyone. We're called to love the lost and to include people other than just our brothers and sisters in Christ in our in our lives, as real friends. When Roy spoke last week about waking up, it wasn't actually about waking up to the needs to care for each other because we we're fairly awake to that. And it wasn't a word to wake up to the fact that there are many people who are lost and in need of salvation. I think we're increasingly aware of that. It was a call to wake up to God, and as we've developed uh, the life of the church by the as God's led us over the last years, one thing that we have missed and which has kind of just ebbed away, I believe, is an expectation of walking day by day with God, of knowing Him in immediate reality in our experience and actually the feeling that unless we meet with god today we're sunk that re- that dependence upon him the word came to us last night it came prophetically inspired by the spirit it's a word comes straight out of the scriptures as well about waking up and so that's what it's time for it's time to wake up let's open our bibles to one Samuel. We're going to read about Hannah. There was a certain man from Did I just die? No? Okay. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zafite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, an Ephraimite, he had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. By the way... A uh, little digression, which I've been waiting for. I've been waiting to study a new te- an Old Testament passage which would prompt this. This word "double." Um, when I was doing some Hebrew study a while ago, I just, this is a little aside. It's got nothing to do with the main subject this morning, but it's just about understanding the Bible properly and being true to it. Okay, um, Hebrew in Hebrew grammar, "double" can mean several different things. We only have singular and plural. They have singular, double, and plural as kinds of the form of Hebrew, and the word double can be a bit ambiguous. So we tend to think of double simply as meaning another one again, like double the amount. Actually, it's a bit more space in Hebrew for different things, and it can mean a little bit more like a body double, like having a twin. So not necessarily double the amount, but it can refer to having another one exactly the same as the one that you have seen already. Does that make sense? And uh, I thought that some of the questioning looks I'm now seeing might occur, so I brought this with me. So if anyone wants to have a look at it up, look I've got the page marked, you can check that later. Um, actually, the King James Version translates this here, that Elkanah gave Hannah a worthy portion, because there's this un- ambiguity. Was it exactly the same as he gave to his other wife, despite the fact she didn't have any children to feed? Or was it double that? Well, it's not quite clear. And so the King James says, a worthy portion. We often talk about Elisha having a double portion, don't we? Of Elijah's spirit. It probably means, I want whatever it was he had. Anyway, digression over. Um, What was that all about? The Lord had closed Hannah's womb. And her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. So once when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. And Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, If you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. It's a reference to a way of dedicating people, uh, men to the Lord by never cutting their hair. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli... "'Observed her mouth. "'Hannah was praying in her heart, "'and her lips were moving, but her voice wasn't heard. "'Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, "'How long will you go on getting drunk? "'Get rid of your wine.' "'Not so, my lord,' Hannah replied. "'I am a woman who is deeply troubled. "'I've not been drinking wine or beer. "'I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. "'Don't take your servant for a wicked woman.' I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went on her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. First thing I just want to highlight out of this passage is Hannah's Appetite. This uh, is Oliver, who said, please, sir, I want some more, when all those around him were frightened into submission and, despite their hunger, wouldn't say a word. Oliver stood forward, Oliver twist, and said, please, sir, I want some more. And in the same kind of way, Hannah acknowledged her appetite. The passage tells us that she had a loving husband. Maybe a slightly insensitive husband. Didn't quite get what was going on inside her. But he was, he was trying, wasn't he? Which is sometimes the most you could hope for from a husband. <laughs> so she, she had a loving, if slightly clumsy, husband. She wasn't entirely bereft in the world, But she knew there was something missing that mattered. And she was willing to say so. She was willing to name the thing that she was hungry for. She was willing to speak that which she had an appetite for. And not just to remain silent. I wonder how we are best described in our spiritual appetite and I trust that though her story was one about children actually this story speaks to all of us wherever we're at uh, about hunger for things that we know God uh, desires and that are on our heart and for which we long the things that we are missing and uh, we're well provided for by and large aren't we uh, we, most of us, at least, can point to a couple of people, at least, who love us, even if they're a bit clumsy too. So we're not totally bereft in the world, but there, there's something more that we know other people have and we haven't got. I mean, I was delighted to hear of Karis being healed of her intolerances, um, but I hope that Like me, when you hear that story of Roy Godwin prayed for her and, I wish it didn't take take Roy Godwin coming here. Do you know what I mean? Because she's been suffering with that for quite a while. And I wish she hadn't had to wait so long. But there are other people who've got things that we haven't got. And I want to name that reality. I was looking on Facebook this morning. And uh, Ali Kay, who actually, he's coming to speak at the learning community we have in about a month's time here for those involved in leadership of our missional communities. He was doing, a, he was doing a healing on the streets yesterday in Derby. And he wrote this on Facebook. Just finishing up after a fairly quiet morning, and I notice a young Muslim woman in a hijab holding a healing on the streets flyer. Very surprised, she talks to me and asks, How do you heal the sick? Me, we pray in the name of Isa, which is Arabic for Jesus. Her, oh, do you put your hands on the sick and then pray? Me, yes. Why do you ask? Her, oh, because I've started to pray to Isa, and I've started to see members of my family healed as I pray for them. <laughs> but, but I'm sick, could I be prayed for? Ali, Ali says in his Facebook, me in my head. Are you chuffing kidding, sweetheart? <laughs> Which is London for hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> so <laughs> so I get some ladies on the team to pray for her and asked that Jesus would come to her in her dreams. And as she leaves, I ask if she would like to know more about Issa and healing. Ooh, yes, please she says. I like that. That's good, isn't it? And um, I want more. And uh, being hungry is a, is a kind of uncomfortable place to be, isn't it? You know, As soon as you're hungry, you, want to eat, you start to want to eat something and then when it doesn't just come in the moment, it becomes an uncomfortable place. It's not a place that you it's not something you want to enter into. And yet, we somehow need to acknowledge what we need. Um, Caroline's word about digging in the sand. Some of you might like making sandcastles. When we go on holiday, Bev makes the sandcastles, and I get dragged in as much as I have to that I can't get away with just sitting and reading a book. Because the whole sand, you know, sand under the fingernails, I just... It Anyway, um, and I, I'm not I'm not overwhelmed with delight when it's made, which I suppose is the compensation for all of that. And uh, I don't, you're not going to keep you're not going to keep digging in dry sand unless you've got a pretty strong desire for the water. I mean, you you need to acknowledge what you're missing and see it clearly and be determined to chase after it. Let's have a look at this, some other things here in the story of Hannah. Uh, she did this year after year, and uh, that's a little metronome there. And it's all a brown picture, and I deliberately chose an all brown picture because sometimes the year after year can feel a little bit like that, can't it? Beige. I saw that. I saw that. Yes. Yes. We were having a conversation about beige the other day. Uh, I, didn't, I couldn't find a beige metronome. Um, but there's something about the year after year. There's something, it can become not just a helpful pattern, but a boring routine. And a, but she. Kept, there's something about her hunger that kept her going. Yeah? Her hunger kept her going. She couldn't but... Keep praying every time they came to the Lord's house because she knew what she was missing. And then where she got to in her press, she got to this place of abandonment. In verse 11, she prayed and made a vow. "O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and do not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Um, some of you have prayed I know long and hard for children I don't know if any of you got to the point where you said Lord if you give us a son we'll give him away hmm. it's, um, it's a peculiar kind of prayer isn't it really it, it feels a little bit like praying Lord you know, heal me but then if you want to take that health and waste me on something then, then feel free and uh, there's an abandonment in this that is really quite extreme her hunger has taken her to a place where she's really laying out all that she is all that she has before the Lord and offering it to him Jesus' example in the garden before he died was that he prayed Father not my will but yours be done and That was as he approached the cross. He didn't want it. He didn't want to give up his life. He's really clear about that. I don't want to die on a cross. But Father, not my will, but yours. If there's any way that this cup can pass from me, please. But not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus calls up to take up our cross too. Yesterday, I asked one of our daughters to read Jesus' garden prayer in Mark's gospel. And I gave it to her. And I said, what did you learn from that then? And uh, she said all kinds of different things. She said, well, we learned that the disciples fell asleep. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Um, we learned that they were in a garden. Yes, that's true. And, and I, she just didn't name what seemed to me the most obvious thing, which is this thing about Jesus' example to us. And I said, what about Jesus being our example? And she said, well, no. No, I mean, that's Jesus, isn't it? I mean, that's what Jesus had to do. But obviously, you know, what are you talking about, Dad? We don't have to do that. We don't have to, you know, do what other people want or anything. You know, he had to do what his father wanted. It's like, ah, oh, that's really interesting. Because uh, that is pretty much what's in our hearts, isn't it? We'd rather it was just Jesus. It's just she's just not, um, she's not old enough to know how to cover all of that up. So she just says it as it's a ridiculous idea. But Hannah was entirely abandoned to the Lord. And it brings us back to what Helen was prophesying last week as well, this picture she had about riding the horse and having tight reins and releasing control to allow the horse to get its head and take us where it's a picture of allowing God to take control, of abandoning ourselves to him. And in that, the key issue is trust. Do we really trust God Jesus was able to go to the cross because he trusted his father and that if that was what his father required of him, then it was okay because his father wouldn't send him to a purposeless death. There's an issue here of trust. My question, therefore, at this point is how much do we trust him? Because there are spiritual resources and spiritual life to be found in God, but they're gained, another word for trust is faith, that there is a faith dynamic in which we reach out to him believing that in his goodness it'll be all right. And actually, if we cut ourselves off from that kind of trust, if we, if we, if we remain in a place of suspicion towards God, it is a major limitation on what God, and that, I'm not going to be able to tie all of the loose ends of, the. I'm saying some things here which will raise some questions. I'm not going to be able to tie all of that up this morning. But Hannah's example is that her hunger took her to a place of complete abandonment and it chimes with Jesus' example to us and what we're called to do too. We also see with Hannah that she let go of her reputation. I don't know whether she had mascara on if she did, it would have looked a bit like that, I guess. She probably did have earrings and probably a nose ring or two as well. Um, in verses 12 and 13, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. Her, hip, her hips were... <laughs> maybe they were. Her lips were moving. <laughs> but her voice was not heard. I don't know. Uh, please don't psychoanalyze that. Uh <laughs> Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. He perceived her as a wicked woman because she says, please don't think I'm a wicked woman. And so I've got this thing here, letting go of reputation. I have to say, I find this hard. For the last seven or eight months, I have been praying that God would speak to me about, um, I suppose, just what's coming up in the next, in the coming years of my own life. It's a prayer I've been praying I felt that it's the season to start asking that question afresh. And all God has wanted to do, really, is point out to me that I'm quite ambitious. I'm like, enough with that, Lord. Um, He's highlighting that I don't really want to please him entirely. I'd rather do something impressive for him than be laid aside for him. I really didn't want to do anything ridiculous, and I don't want to do anything that would lead me to be accused of being a wicked woman. That's for sure. I know. I'm really clear on that. Um, I had my. I'm mentioning my daughters a couple of times this this morning. Um, I had my first daddy-daughter moment um, with Amber recently, where she told me how embarrassing I was. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, the only the only redeeming feature of this was she said to me, "I get really embarrassed, Daddy, if you kneel down in worship." I thought that's all right, isn't it? I don't of all the things that I do that are embarrassing or will become embarrassing to her, for me to kneel down in my worship when we're we're here. I think I did quite well there, actually. Um, and all of a sudden, and immediately, there's this little vortex of. Um, even in embarrassing my daughter, I'm doing something impressive. And it's like, it's so complicated, this whole thing of not wanting to please other people, but simply to please the Lord, and not worrying what other people think. And here I am, as a church leader, saying to do it, and there's a dynamic of, do you need to do this to impress me? Do you, yeah? It's kind of complicated, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not sure I've got much more to say than that, except we've somehow got to pay attention to who we're who we're seeking to please. And um, if I just suspect that I'm not the only one here to whom God wants to speak about you, you're too concerned about your reputation. You're, you're too, too bothered what other people think. I, I suspect that that's a word that needs to land much more broadly than, than just in my life. I'm wanting to believe that anyway. Um, now here's another thing. I'm going to do something which you're not ever supposed to do when you teach from the Bible, which is I'm going to make an argument from silence. This is where there's something that's missing in the Bible and you make up something about it. <laughs> um, I'm doing it very knowingly, and I'm doing it because it's, there's a silence in this passage, but it's, the issue is spoken to elsewhere in the Bible. So it's not a silence from the whole of Scripture. But one of the things that is notable about this passage is Hannah doesn't get any explanation I mean, I don't know how many years she's lived with this suffering and mockery and weeping that made her unable physically to eat. I don't know how many years that went on for her. There's no explanation given here. There's no point, oh, God says, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's because of all of these things I wanted to do in you. Just there's a silence about that. Um, A kind of, yeah, there we go. Silence. It's a little small sort of a word And um, elsewhere in the scriptures, for example, in the book of Job, we have a man who went through incredible suffering, the death of his family, the loss of his possessions, physical suffering in his own body. And he asks God all about it. And as most of you will know full well, God's answer goes along these lines. God says to him, when he finally answers after 37 chapters of questions, who is it that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Like, thanks, God. I mean, you know, you hope for something other than that, don't you? Really. And God goes on to basically say, I know loads of stuff that you don't. You are so ignorant you wouldn't believe it. So, I mean, ask your questions, but don't feel like they have any force to compel God. Because your situation will always be that you are woefully ignorant of, you know, the full sum of knowledge. I, some people like drawings and diagrams, so this might help a few people. If this is a little circle... Showing the full extent of what we know. Well, let's make it personal. What you know. So also the full extent of what you know. Okay. There's a whole world behind it of what you don't know. It's not, it says what we don't know all over there. I just had to highlight one of them. The whole background of life is stuff we. There's just a vast swathe of stuff we don't know. Yeah. 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 And there's a little bit that we do know. That, that's how things are. What you know in your mind is a small subset, a very small subset of everything that there is to be known. Yeah. And what you then find is that it's actually it's at the boundary between what you know and what you don't know. you go, like, I know this, but I... oh look at that, I'm not so sure about that. That questions form. This is just what happens in our lives. That uh, where we uh, know enough to know that we don't know something. Yeah. Could, yeah? Because there's all, there's all kinds of stuff that we don't know, and we don't know that we don't know it, so we don't even ask any questions. Yeah? Then, there's the stuff that we know we don't know, and that's where we ask questions. At the, at the, kind of, at the touching point of our knowledge and our ignorance, what we know and what we don't know. Yeah? And then as we, are, as we get those questions answered... the the scope of what we know gets a bit bigger. Yeah, this is the experience that we have in life. Um, But of course, what that means is that we just have a lot more questions. So, the more we know, the more questions we have. And uh, I believe that there will be some people here who've not seen that before and who've honestly thought that the more the questions they answered, that eventually the questions would sort of fall away and diminish because you'd have kind of got hold of everything that you needed to know in life. So this is just to disabuse you of that expectation. <laughs> because the more you know, the more questions you will have. All of which is to say that we need to have a spiritual life, an understanding of God in which we accept that there will always be mystery. There will always be some things that we don't know. And for some of us, that's a real pain. There are some people, this is me for sure. Oh dear. I was struggling to prepare to speak this morning because I was like, everything I've got to say, I'm feeling convicted on, so. (sighs) Anyway, um, some of us think that if we can just get, if we can just understand this whole walk with God thing a bit more first, then we'll jump into it. If, if we can understand the upward dimension of our life, we can get our heads around that a little bit more first. Brilliant. Okay, now we know what to do. Now we can get on with it. Now now we can live it out. But there has to be in our walk with God, because he is so vast and he knows much stuff that we've not even learnt that we're ignorant of yet. There's got to be an understanding that we just get on with relating to him anyway. We make it a priority in our lives to spend time with him ahead of getting through our list of things we'd like to find out about first, please. Yeah? And now, to some, that might sound really anti-intellectual. If it does, it's not, because I also think that God's given us minds and that blue circle there, that thing, what we know needs to keep increasing as well. We just need to understand that mystery will remain. And therefore, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, we need to walk by faith and not by sight. If we're limited to what we can see and understand, oh, I've analysed that, I've got that one nailed. If we live there alone, then actually the upward dimension of our lives will be thin and weak. Hannah took Eli's word as a sign that God would answer. She would had had many years of being taunted and knowing what she was missing. And Eli says to her, "May the God of Israel grant uh, what you've asked of him. And she's, she's lifted in her spirit. There's a response of faith that goes on in her. She still all these questions, why? Why, God, have you allowed? Why is this happening? I don't understand that. And yet there is a response of faith in her, and faith is pleasing to the Lord. Um, A few weeks ago, we had a friend of mine, a good friend of David and Sam Massey's uh, here, who helped us uh, respond to the Lord at the end of one of our summer meetings when Graham was speaking, I think. Uh, His name is Joshua David. He comes from India. He's going to be coming back again at the end of November. And I'm going to hand over one of my preaching slots here to him on a Sunday morning because I think we need to hear some stuff that he's got to share. He's one of India's sort of, I think, foremost uh, miracle-working evangelists. That's really the best way to describe the grace that's on his life. And he he might tell some stories when he visits us. I wanted to relay one story to you uh, from having spent some time with him recently because I think it will help us. He was speaking at, well, they call them crusades because they didn't have the same negative history around that, world, that word in, uh, in Southern Asia that we do in Europe and the Middle East. So he's having a healing crusade. And uh, as the meeting got going, a bunch of people from the BJP turned up who are the, the militant Hindus, um, political party, that's right, isn't it? BJP, yes. And they brought with them a spastic man. And they said, here's the deal. Uh, you heal him and we'll let your meeting continue and we'll pay for it. You don't heal him, we get to beat you up. Um uh, yeah, that's a challenge, isn't it? So, what I want to describe to you is what what Josh is in what was going on in him at that moment, because this is what I think is helpful for us. He did not have some rise of faith or some kind of spiritual woo thing that just sort of caused him to sail through this challenge what happened was that he found words coming out of his mouth that he knew in his heart were displeasing to God. He started telling them about the time when friends of a paralytic brought that paralytic to Jesus to be healed and opened up a hole in the roof and lowered their friend in. And there in that story, Jesus says that that the paralytic's been healed through the faith of his friends. And so Josh says to these Hindu guys... Whether or not your friend gets healed depends on your faith, like Jesus t- teaches. And even as he's saying that, he knows that he's just trying to find some wriggle room. And that what he said is, is displeasing to the Lord. So not only has he got some militant people who are getting excited at the prospect of beating him up, And someone who needs a miracle and a crowd looking on, he's also now aware that he's just offended God. And being constrained by the circumstances has little option still except to go and pray for this man. Barely a word is out of his mouth and God heals him. Which is a good outcome on many fronts. Uh, The thing for us to learn is that a greater experience of the upward dimension in our Christian lives uh, comes in a place of, not of our perfection, not even of, definitely not a place of having worked it all out, Often in a place of quite significant confusion and continuing questioning. But in a place where we can't do anything else except depend on God. And talking to Josh, so Bev and I were, and Richie came and shared a word here earlier. We were talking to him and saying, so tell us the secrets then. I mean, come on, we know that we need to see more of God. What, what is it that stops us from seeing more of God at work? And his advice was that the main thing that gets in the way is that we don't want the level of discomfort that goes along with it, and therefore we're double-minded and just pull back. And I agree. I recognise that in my own life. I'm seeing a few nodding heads, and I, uh, I think there's a. God is trying to woo us into a different dimension, a different level of walking with him. He he wants us closer in. He wants to give us more than we've known. We're not trying to make him do something he doesn't want to do. He's he's drawing us. And practically, the thing that many people I know in, in our, many of us are experiencing is just a growing discomfort with what we've got a growing dissatisfaction a hunger and a longing for more and it's not see it was really interesting when roy godwin and roy and daphne came last week and roy spoke and so on. i was really hoping that we'd have a kind of like you know revival meeting like bang you know lightning strikes all over the place you know And, you know, sort it, you know, whatever our issues are, sort it out, praise God. God didn't do that. Those of you who are here on the Sunday evening will know that he spoke and explained a few things and then said, well, I don't think God's manifesting himself here in any way, so let's close the meeting. And what I understand is actually what Chris was sharing from the story of Elijah about the still small voice. Um... You know, in our life as a church, when we've seen the need to move forward spiritually, it's been our habit to you know, have three days of prayer and fasting or something like that. Come on, let's sort it. And that matters. And actually, that kind of warfare prayer is really important. But there's something else that also matters. It's we're reminded of it by Hannah's year after year. She kept coming. She kept coming. And I wonder whether our regular habits of everyday walking with Jesus have just ebbed away. And it's not about, it's our greatest need is not for God to turn up and go, bang, sorted. He can do that anytime. You know, we've had people come into our meetings with a need for healing, we've not done anything special, for, you know, come in and God's just healed people sovereignly without anybody praying, anything doing, it. God is not limited. He will, you know, the, the, the lightning strike, bang, God, so that can happen anytime. But what God desires more is our love and our company. When we speak words of prayer to God, it, you know, it, It gives him something he didn't have before, which is communication from us, choosing to give him time and space and valuing fellowship with him. We've got some booklets to hand out. Thank you, Peter, and others who will help. Um, They look like this. There's a thing on the front that says breathe. I ought to click on there we go. Time to breathe. That's what it's time to do. Um, an invitation, it says on here, to a closer walk with God. Because having recognized that we need to refresh our daily walk with God, there's a question that the church leadership team have been asking for some time, which is, um, what, what fresh spiritual rhythms, what patterns could we begin that we could imagine doing until the day we die. What what sustainable patterns are there that it would be good for us to have together? And in this book, which goes with the, the title Breathe, let me read the vision that we have here from what's on page three, when you've got one, you can look at it. It says, God is as close to us as the air we breathe. He wants us to live with an awareness of his presence and breathing provides a picture of how we can relate closely to God in several ways. Firstly, dependency. We depend on the air around us. If we stop breathing, then we die. Prayer is not about technique, but it's what we do when we know that we really depend on God. So the, the theme of breathing of a breath reminds us of our dependency on god there's a rhythm as well breathing in and out is one of the most basic rhythms of our lives and it reminds us that some regular habits are good for us rhythms of time with god help us to keep breathing in his spirit and to become the fragrance of christ in the world and then space when we breathe we expand our diaphragm and ribs creating space in our lungs for air to flow in. And as we create space for God in our everyday lives, we will discover how he longs to flood into our lives. And what we're suggesting is that you consider joining in with a pattern that we think we could continue until the day we die. It's really simple. A daily rhythm, morning, lunchtime, evening could be breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If, you know, if your life revolves around those, that might be more helpful for you. Uh, just to spend each day reading, at the beginning of each day, reading God's word and praying for the day. And there's a suggestion here, page six and seven. Just what you can do just to take 10 minutes in the morning, which seems, we think, manageable, just to invite God in to the start of each day. In the middle of the day, at lunchtime, just pray the Lord's Prayer at lunchtime. It's really simple. Lots of people obviously have mobile phones. You can set an alarm to ring. I've got mine ringing at 12.30 every day. Bling, pray the Lord's Prayer. And it's been really, really helpful. Really, really simple. And then in the evening, probably best around your mealtime, actually. Um, I don't know how many of you are in the habit of thanking God for your food as you eat. Uh, I know many of us are, but just a bit more than that, to ask what's happened today, what's been difficult, what's gone well, God, where were you in all of this, and as well as thanking God for the food, to just pray a little bit and say, thank you, God, for all that today has held, we bring these difficult things to you and pray for the next day. And um, you might not want to do all of that, start eating. Um, might be a discussion to go on or thoughts to uh, unfold over uh, through the course of eating. But taking advantage of the things that we're already doing just to make more space for God in our days. This booklet also talks about some of the things that we do together that are on a longer-term pattern, weekly, monthly, and so on. So this is what it says. It's an invitation uh, some people w- were brought up on, you've got to read your Bible every day or God won't like you. Which is, of course, quite untrue. The people who said that should read their Bibles and then um, <laughs> say it anymore. Still, this is an invitation. It's not like, if you don't do this, then, oh, dearie me. But it, as a response to, what's, what, just believe it's what God's saying to us, in this season that the inward thing we're alive and awake to that the outward thing we're alive and awake but our relationship with god we need to wake up and see it refreshed and i believe uh, together with the church's leadership team that this is a really really helpful tool and what we're going to do now is just take a moment's silence out of to allow room for the holy spirit really um and I don't know what the Holy Spirit will do and say as we, as we do that, but um, if we could take this away and seriously consider it, I, for one, will be really satisfied if this lands in our lives and serves as a means of refreshing our walk with him. But let's just leave a bit of space now and say, Holy Spirit, please come. Father, send your spirit amongst us. We pray that, you would come and work in us. Pray that you would come and speak to us. Bring to our minds the things that you want us to understand and the things about which we need to make decisions. And give us that awareness of your presence which completely alters the atmosphere of our lives so Lord would you come